dedicated to all the fathers out there, all of the men who are stepping in in a fathering role. This is an extremely special episode. Stay tuned after these messages. I like cute clothes. I like having stylish outfits and I hate shopping. Armoire makes getting dressed easier. Armoire is a clothing rental membership option. And Janet and I recently have both tried it out. And you guys, it is so much fun. You go to their website, you get to take a little quick style quiz, takes five minutes, and then you get presented a list of beautiful clothing, pictures, wonderful clothes that you can pick out and get delivered to your house for you to try and wear in the comfort of your own home without going out and determine what looks cute, put together outfits without investing a ton of money. Right now, our listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off your first month. That is up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash envoys. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E, dot style slash envoys to get 50% off your first month and never have to worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. This is the On Boys Parenting Podcast. We are your co-hosts, Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net, and I am Janet Allison of boysalive.com. And speaking of men and boys, as we always do here, I want you to know about Next Gen Men. This is a very special organization in Canada. Our friends Jake and Jonathan are doing amazing work there. You may have heard our podcast episode with them. Next Gen Men hosts a online course that you can take less than 100 bucks. Use the Envoys coupon code for a discount. This course will give you some highlights, some need to know information. I learned some new things by going through this course. Do it in your own time. Do it with your parenting partner. Do it for your boys. Nextgenmen.ca and look in the shop. You'll see the course right there. Nextgenmen.ca and use the Envoys coupon code. Father's Day here in America was first celebrated on June 19, 1910. However, it wasn't made an official day until 1972, 58 years after Mother's Day was made official. Hmm. I didn't know that. I didn't know didn't that either. a little while ago, <laughs> but interesting. It's kind of how the whole boy thing rolls here. So while these <laughs> holidays, Mother's Day, Father's Day may feel a little contrived and even for some a little painful, if you're missing your father, never had a father or want to be a father and aren't, we hope that today's episode will delight and inspire you and maybe you'll share it with a father or a father figure in your life. We at On Boys take every opportunity we can all year long to honor all the men that are helping to raise great kids. And because it is Father's Day, we thought it'd be fun to invite some special men to join us. 
One of our guests, Brandon Bell, is father of five, four boys and a girl. He's a grandfather, a middle school teacher, theater, choral director, and writer. And he says, as a father of five, I've made nearly every parenting mistake possible. Any I didn't make personally, I've seen other parents make in my years as a teacher. Oh, I bet you have. And I'm so happy to welcome Andy, who hasn't had a chance to make those mistakes yet, because he became a father just a mere three and a half months ago. He's a therapist, a social worker, and best of all, my son-in-law, father to my grandson, baby Bo, and married to my oldest daughter, Katie. It is such, I'm getting chills. It's such a special moment <laughs> to have you on the show. Wonderful to be here. <laughs> so welcome to you both. Brayden, tell us how, how old are your kids? I'm going to have to give you about because I only do multiples of five. <laughs> That's the only, uh, only numbers I can keep straight. Works for um, us. So my oldest is uh, about, so they're roughly, they're kind of clustered in their older 20s. So I have one who's about 29, about 27 or 28, uh, about 25. And then I have um, one who's almost 19 and one who is almost 16. So they're, they're all over, but mostly in their late 20s. Are the younger two still at home-ish, mostly? The 15-year-old is still here. So you raised boys, and what did you feel prepared for in raising boys, and what did you feel not quite so prepared for? Well, I, this may be a little rambling, and I'm going to try to be concise, but I want to frame how I came a little bit just about fatherhood in general, if I can, because something you said really triggered this memory. Um, my wife and I got married in February and we, we decided we, we wanted to start our family right away. So by the time Mother's Day rolled around, we knew that um, she was expecting. We were so excited. We went to church on Mother's Day Sunday and it was this lovely, wonderful, uplifting, just the whole, you know, everything about that day was beautiful and wonderful and give, give all the women roses and uh, just celebrating mother and, and even women who aren't mothers. It's just wonderful. Um, it's just great. So I was really excited for Father's Day. Like I, I couldn't wait. Um, I just knew it was going to be so meaningful and great. Um, there I was, expectant father. And the minister gets up and he, he kind of laughed sort of ruefully. He says, well, I kind of realized something this morning. I, I realized that on Mother's Day, we just wanted to make everyone feel good. And today my instinct was just to tell you all what jerks you are pretty much guys. Um, and he sort of joked about it, but <laughs> that really was how the rest of the services unfolded. And it was well meant. Like it was, he was trying to say, make sure you're a good husband, step up and be a good, a good father. It was, it was an important message. The timing was difficult. And I went home and I really felt kind of deflated. So just the, when you mentioned that about when Father's Day first was celebrated versus when it became actually, um, you know, a, a holiday, I do think that there is something, um, we can kind of joke about it, but I, I do think there's kind of a, and since many, many times since then, I've gone to a lot of services on Father's Day where it kind of had the same tone. I'm glad that, and I appreciate the fact that you are celebrating this and celebrating the idea of fathers, because I, I do think that's a, uh, an often overlooked part of our, our culture sometimes. 
That so plays into this cultural stereotype that still exists. And, you know, we've seen it all over TV. Um, you know, the bumbling, incompetent father. And, you know, Andy, I know you grew up, The Simpsons has been on TV for your whole life, probably. So the bumbling dad stereotype's been alive and well your whole life, I'm sure. Sure. That's certainly a, a familiar trope uh i don't know i mean i, I guess it, it makes me think about a kind of mistrust that we can condition into people of themselves mm -hmm. of men you're gonna be bumbling you're gonna be dangerous you're gonna make poor decisions you're not gonna be enough of this or that and you just i certainly know i internalize that in just a general way so that it feels like any step you might take Oh, wait a minute. Don't, you know, don't take that step. Stay in place. Freeze. Hold on a second. Think about what you're doing. It just causes a, a kind of unnecessary questioning. Yeah, I don't really know the origins of that either, but I certainly have experienced it in a variety of other ways, similar to what Braden was saying. This is my soapbox. I think that we undervalue men by making it a joke, what you said, Braden, by, oh, you know, oops, it's Father's Day. And so how do we lift men up to become dads and to be proud of being dads and wanting to fulfill that role well, when there's all the social, social media, cultural messages that are like, oh, you know, they're there, we've got this, you know, you can't, you can't change a diaper, you can't, etc. And the other side of that is that, um, sadly, there, there are too many men who have done things that, that made the pastor feel like he needed to get up and kind of have a come to Jesus with the men in the congregation. Like that didn't, the, the unfortunate part of that is that didn't come out of nowhere. His instinct that he needed to do some uh, correction and some reproof was not just some weird bias. I mean, I, again, I, I wish he had picked a different time, but I, I mm -hmm. can't disagree with, with the message. Um, so I think that's part of it is I think, I think we have to really try to be good men. I think that in my mind is one of the most important things any male can do is try to be good <laughs> himself. And so that we can not generate mistrust and fear, um, skepticism and things like that. And I, I think it's, there's a, you know, a chicken and egg sort of a problem here. And I think that it's incumbent on men, especially men who are raising boys. We all get it wrong. We all make mistakes. No, no one is, is flawless, you know, so all of those caveats, but trying to raise sons who are, are good or who are aspiring to be good, I think is, is one of the most important things that men can do as, as we try to write this somewhat imbalanced ship. And I'm curious too, if when you guys were were little, was the story of, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? We always ask kids that. Was fathering in there? Was it assumed, presumed that you would be a father? Was it talked about, oh, you know, when you grow up, you'll be a dad. And if you want to be that kind of thing, was it, was it talked about? And Jen, maybe, I don't know, did you talk to your boys about being a dad when they grew up? I can jump in on that. It was framed for me in a variety of ways, sometimes as if it was an in, in inevitability, sometimes as if it was a choice that I might make. And it was very deliberately framed that way. And I always remember 
I remember appreciating that, that I could spend as much time as I needed pondering a decision that was, I don't know, enormous. And I don't know, I'm grateful for that, that somebody, my parents, whomever, took that tone and position and framed it as a choice um, about whether it was something I wanted to do. And I, you know, I mean, I came to fatherhood a little bit later than some. I mean, I'm 38 now and, and I was ambivalent for a long time. I mean, right up until I met, I met the kid. Um, and... More ambivalence is on the way. I guarantee it. Right, Brady? Uh, yeah. Yes. I, it has not stopped. Uh, <laughs> but I think it's a healthy ambivalence. And yeah, I don't know. I think what made me feel like the it was the right thing for me um, was just meeting the right person to have a family with. And, but it was always a choice that I, I kind of, I I weighed and struggled and wrestled with because I liked my life as it was, Mm -hmm. and I knew it would be a massive change. Yeah, it was. So I, I, I love hearing that. Honestly, I think that is really beautiful. And I think um, it gives me hope. I think that your generation, my my son's generation, um, my grandson's generations, I hope will make these decisions more consciously. I mean, it, it wasn't like it was an unconscious or um, reluctant decision on my part. I don't remember it being quite as conscious as it sounds like your process was. I think it was just more assumed. Like I grew up watching and I hesitate to use this example, but if we can just focus on what we knew at the time, the Cosby show was the number one. I mean, for yeah. years, that was the most popular watch show in, in the United States. And it's centered on, uh, again, leaving everything else. But the on camera, what we knew at the time was a, an engaged, um, a very present, um, caring dad. Um, but there were also other shows, family, t- like that. All of these, you know, even Mike Brady uh, wasn't that far yeah. removed. Um, so that I think there was just in kind of the zeitgeist. I think being a dad was just perhaps a little bit more of of what you kind of imbibed just from, you know, what, what pop culture was at the time. And, and then certainly from my own example, I'll, you know, my parents both came from large families and their siblings were all married. And because they were the oldest, I actually watched um, most of their siblings get married and, and have children and begin their families. So I think it was a less conscious process for me, but something that was pretty much in the, in the cultural water and air for me. It's interesting that you mentioned that uh, pop culture evolution of dads, because you're right. There was that whole era of involved, engaged dads on TV. And I mean, Pa Ingalls and the Waltons. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, what was the show that Kirk Cameron was in? Um, that one with Alan Thicke was the dad. Like, yes, it really has changed. Well, you know, and the contrast is like Al Bundy. Um Yes. We didn't watch that in my house. There was no rule against it, but it just, it, it didn't get, it didn't get turned on. <laughs> it didn't fit. It wasn't part of the family culture and it just sure. wouldn't make sense to watch it, but it was on at friends' houses. And I remember seeing it and everyone talked about it. And and I don't know, I mean, that was a totally different example of a, a grumpy, disillusioned, jaded, a- anti-hero dad, maybe. <laughs> I don't yeah. know what yeah. call him that. But, you know, there was something lovable about this 
not so lovable character. Um, but I don't know, it's part of this range of, you know, of the way fathers are presented. Yeah. Um, and I think in some way it probably mirrors a lot of the dads I encountered in, you know, from with friends and family and in the community. You know, I think I saw all that around me. And that probably in some way was like, well, I don't know which kind of dad I'll be. You know, let, let me really take my time before jumping into that. We we all have days. We we want to be Charles Ingalls and we end up as Al Bundy. I mean, we've all been there, <laughs> I think. <laughs> so you know, we are all surrounded by these messages that we often don't even realize we're swimming in. And I already, from both of you, I know that, you know, you're determined to be good men. You want to be good men. And, and um, you want to extend that to, I want to raise good men. I have a son. I, I have this responsibility. So each of you this is going to be easiest for you, Andy, because it's more recent, you know, kind of talk about there's your what I think and feel about what I my hopes and fears for this kid versus the reality of there's this very tiny human and I am suddenly responsible for him. And this is this is what I hope and what I fear. You know, I, I think I don't know, for many years, people I heard people say generally and to me like once you hold them, something changes. And I think for all my angst and questioning and uncertainty and, and you know, and, and pleasurable fantasies, I mean, all of it, it got a lot simpler when I could hold him because there was just the task at hand. And then there was me kind of spinning away in my thoughts and my worries and my, you know, imagination, um, you know, for good or for bad. But then I could just kind of come back to holding him and in some ways, I mean, I think we're lucky we have a pretty good kid that is responsive to us and we're responsive to him. And that is anchoring him more and more. Uh, he's got great grandparents around yes, too. Um, <laughs> it helps that, okay, he's, he's upset. He needs this and I can figure it out. We can figure it out. And that helps bring me back from my concerns and the bigger picture about what's good, what's bad, you know, what are my, my thoughts and worries and concerns, because I don't know, that's not in the present moment. I don't know how to raise him in five years. I don't know what to tell him when he's 15. I won't know until I encounter that situation. And I'm not sure I can, um, spending any time predicting it is going to help me to be responsive to it. But what I'm learning more and more is if I'm just present with him, I figure out what's happening with him and how to respond. Uh, and if I can't, I've got really great people around me. Um, but I think that, that that is something I'm really taking from this. And I, it's an emergency break on just too much intellectual yeah. stuff and projecting into the future. He's at a certain point in his development, and that's all I have any say over or influence over right now. Yeah. So this episode is sponsored by By Heart. Babies need to eat. And whether you breastfeed or bottle feed, use formula, combine all of the above, you need options. We wanted to let you know about By Heart Baby Formula. By Heart has a patented protein blend that gets the closest to breast milk. It includes two of the most abundant proteins in breast milk. And Byheart actually ran a clinical trial comparing their formula to a leading infant formula. 
and proved that babies on BiHeart have softer poops, less spit up, and easier digestion. BiHeart is also the only U.S.-made infant formula to use organic, grass-fed whole milk. So if you need baby formula for your baby, consider BiHeart. New customers can get 10% off your first order by using code ONBOYS at BiHeart.com. That's B-Y-H-E-A-R-T dot com slash podcast, and it is 10% off your first order. BiHeart.com slash podcast. This is a limited time offer and additional terms and conditions may apply. One of the most challenging things about being a woman at midlife is realizing how little people understand about perimenopause and menopause, Janet. I just had a conversation with my sister about that this weekend. She is 10 years younger than me, so I'm 51, she's 41, and she went to ask her healthcare provider, hey, can you provide me some information? And she got information, but she was frustrated by how incomplete it seems, how little we know, and how for way too many people, the answer seems to be, yep, that's the way it is. Deal with it. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. And not only are our mamas out there having to deal with perimenopause, likely at this age, but many of our moms are dealing with their sons entering or in puberty, which is kind of nature's irony, which is, oof. Cruel joke, Janet. Cruel joke. Cruel joke. Thankfully, thankfully, increasingly, there are those who are recognizing that women need and deserve competent care and treatment for perimenopause and menopausal symptoms. And we know that can still be harder to access than it should be, which is why we have partnered with Winona. Winona helps women who are dealing with menopause or perimenopause. Winona is a collection of OBGYN health professionals who believe that your symptoms are important, real, and deserve to be taken seriously. Telehealth, you can access care from your home when it is convenient for you. Visit buywinona.com today to start your free visit with free U.S. shipping and the ability to pause or cancel at any time. Your path to wellness has zero obligations. Use the code ONBOYS at buywinona.com for 25% off your first order. That's B-Y-W-I-N-O-N-A dot com slash on boys. Winona, menopause care made easy. So Brayden, you have a newsletter for parents of teenagers, which I love. And I really want to hear what you have to say based on what Andy just said, because as a fellow parent of teens, the wisdom that he shared right there, I think yeah. applies, especially when you have teens. I, I agree. I, honestly, I, I'm not sure you could get better parenting advice for any age really than that. Just be present and engage in the moment, full stop. I mean, that's so much of what we do is just we spin our wheels and we get frustrated. I mean, so much over parenting comes because people are worried that this test will lead to a bad grade, which will lead to not getting into the right college, which will mean they'll never have a job. I mean, like almost this every- kid's going to be in my 
basement forever. He'll yeah. never be a productive citizen. Right. And, and every parent, and in fairness, I suppose, you know, as they're closer to adulthood, it is easier to connect that dot. Like it's not entirely irrational to have those fears. There's, it's not foolish or stupid, but um, I do think that a lot of, we can solve a lot of our own stress by just focusing on the moment, the task at hand and um, not worrying about what's down the road. So I, I love that, Andy. I, I may, uh, I may either attribute it to you or, you know, I'll say something like a really wise person. I know really wise dad once said, um, but I, I really do think that's, that's lovely. That's really well said. I mean, because whether the thing is, you know, Bo is upset because he's got a wet diaper and he's hungry. Right. And like, he doesn't really care what you're worried about beyond that until you solve those two problems. He's not going to be able to do anything else. It's the same thing when, if your 15 year old is upset, I mean, if you don't deal with the upset in the moment, whether that's helping him calm down, like you can't, all the other things you're worrying about, you got to deal with the immediate thing in front of you first. Well, Jen and I are uh, often say you got to parent the kid that's in front of you. And that's what you said. It's just parent the kid you got right in front of you today. I suppose too, one of the, one of the tricks comes when, when those needs get, uh, come faster, like there's kind of a rapid fire and the, the stakes, but, but again, I think if we can just remember, take a minute, calm down. The other thing I loved about what you said, Andy, was that, um, I think, I think it's a quote by, I think it's by Ralph Waldo Emerson, but it basically says, I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it. So my apologies to the estate of Ralph Waldo Emerson, but something like doing your work today is the best preparation for whatever will befall you tomorrow. So you dig in and you work hard today, Mm. confident that tomorrow will be better off because of the work you did today, that today's labor is preparation for tomorrow's challenge. And so I do think um, the, that theory, the, that, that idea of being present and in the moment now when you, your child is very young, if you can build that mindset and that habit, um, that's really going to be a, an enormous help uh, preparation for the future. I, I want to ask you, Braden, as a middle school teacher, and I was an elementary school teacher, so I was always oh, trying, wonderful. how do I get dads involved with the, ki- with the kids in the classroom? In the larger cultural picture, but then a little microcosm of middle school, how can we champion dads more than we do? How can we welcome them into the school or champion them in a, in a bigger way? Well, I think there's some really like obvious complex, um, dynamics there with the way society has, and I think it's changed, like just in like 20 years that I've been teaching, it's, it's changed enormously. Like I think far more dads are far more willing to help, um, and to be engaged, um, in, in their child's life, um, as as a parent, not just as sort of a, I don't know. I, I my head of school, I, I really love him and admire him. They have a lot of kids. They've got like seven kids, um, and he once, kind of tongue in cheek, said, "I took my kids last night 
so my wife could go do something. He said, in other words, parenting. Um, and then he, he finished. But I love, I do think that we're finally seeing more men who are willing to step up and really think about what it means to parent. And, and there's obviously a, a long way to go. And I mean, there's all kinds of um, disparity still. But I do think that men in general are more willing to be, I certainly see like my sons are so much more involved in their children's lives than I was of mine in daily ways that um, my dad wasn't involved in my life. Not that he was bad, just that that was not what dads did. And, and he was away at work. And, but I, I, I do think we're making some progress. Um, one thing I also think, so I, I direct our theater program and we do two shows a year we have anywhere from 80 to 200 kids in, in these plays. So there's a lot of kids. And as a result, we require that parents have to be involved. Like we, we really need kind of all hands. So you can help with props or scenery or the cast party or, or costumes or whatever it is. There's still some kind of blurred lines when I first started only pretty much the only people that were on the costume committee were the moms and the only ones that we're on the set committee, we're the dads. I have noticed that often the way, I want to be really careful how I say this, often the way that I think many fathers in my experience volunteer is different. There's a different energy. There's a different uh, skill set in a way. Skill set's not quite the right word, but a different energy, a different vibe. They are really good at doing certain things. And I've realized that I kind of need to let them volunteer and participate in the way that works for them and not just try to make it really, you know, I'm, I'm kind of slaughtering this because I'm trying to be so careful about how I say this, realizing that there's a lot of different personalities and not all that are the same. And, but there, I do think making it um, possible for dads to volunteer in a way and in a time that works for them and their interests maybe is, is a good way to say that. Um, most dads are probably going to just do it a little bit differently than most moms. Again, no, no. Uh, Janet, I see you smiling because what do you say all the time? Dads do it differently. Dads yes. parent differently than moms. And that's okay. That's a strength. And when you were asking the question, Janet, I was kind of thinking along the lines of personally, and this is just my off the cuff response. I think sometimes dads aren't involved, air quotes, in volunteering in schools because a lot of the things we ask the school volunteers to do are kind of stupid and kind of lame. Mm -hmm. And give guys a chance to like share the thing they know in a way that yeah. makes sense to them with middle schoolers. Now you're on to something. Well, yeah. I, think I can speak to that just, I mean, that dynamic in, in a different setting, but I mean, I, I've been observing that thing playing out in our family, our household, um, in my marriage. And, uh, you know, I, I watch Katie, my wife, like lie on the floor and teach and engage and encourage and help our son play and watch something. And I don't know how to do it. If I sat down on the floor with him, I couldn't make that experience. I couldn't be part of it the same way. I don't know how to guide him through that it just isn't in me and and it's, I sometimes feel inadequate and worry that she you know thinks I should be doing that but I and I've said there I just I don't know how to do certain things I just, it's just not 
a reflex in me, but there's other things I do know how to do. And, and I'm going to interrupt because just before this podcast, Andy had Bo in his arms and they were talking back and forth and right. engaged and mm-hmm. still the engagement, it looks a little bit different than how Katie does it or how I do it, but you certainly. But we each have our willingness and, and yeah. I think that he, the fact that he can get nurturance and attention and care and you know, all of these things, play, help, um, learning from both of us in different ways, that that is, is what's more operative. And that's how I reassure and soothe myself when I get a little kind of worried about that very thing, you know, like, oh, am I just being some uninvolved dad when I'm watching her on the floor? But it's like, I don't know how to do that. Like, <laughs> I can learn and I will, some of it, but there's some things that aren't really in my temperament or my wheelhouse or you know and and i but i have other things to offer and i yeah. think it's important that you know is that i find the willingness to do that and not be afraid to put myself to use in those ways as much as possible in spite of the fact that there's certain things i don't know how to do you know many dads i think would say these first months are hard because it is so mom focused. He's a, he's a nursing baby and it's all about mom right now. And, and, and there are those points of engagement and it will get more. I mean, you're going to be out Mm -hmm. bombing around in the woods with your son before you know it. So it changes and evolves over time for sure. I also think when you have a brand new, very small child, I think a lot of men I know, it's kind of a joke, like the cliche about the the new father who doesn't want to pick up the baby because he's afraid he's going to break him. Um, and that is kind of part of the clueless dad trope in a way. But but I, I don't know that it's a bad thing to have someone who's so much bigger <laughs> than something so small to, to be a little careful about it from the start. I mean, and the mom has had this generally has had a very intimate experience getting to know physically carrying yeah. that that child and I feel like there's already a level of physical proximity or, or comfort you with know, physical proximity you're you're totally right um and this obviously is not the case for every mom moms come about through adoption right. in all kinds of wonderful ways but as a mom who you know I, I carried my babies and birthed my babies there's something so familiar and Janet, I'm sure you still Mm -hmm. remember this too, when you hold this newborn afterwards and it's so familiar because it is the same curled up exact shape that you have known for months. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it is different. I mean, it's got to be a very strange thing as a dad, like pregnancy is happening and I know that, but it's this weirdness over here. And okay, maybe I see your your belly moving in weird ways. And then they hand you this living, squirming, helpless creature. Oh yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> and then yeah, and there's not an intimacy that's established yet. There isn't no. any familiarity. And depending on how much exposure you've had to, to young children, um, let alone infants, you know, I don't yeah. I think before I have two nieces and you know, before them, I don't know that I ever held a baby. So like, if it weren't for the fact that my sister had a couple of kids before I did, I would have been even more kind of lost in the woods. Uh, you know, I, I at least had that to work with that frame of reference. But yeah, I mean, it's totally shocking and disorienting. 
And then, and then to return to what I said a few minutes ago, though, but as soon as I held him, I don't know, I mean, yeah. Janet heard, heard me perseverate for months about my terror about dirty diapers. <laughs> I don't know why I was just like, so, and it's like, I, <laughs> Because they're nasty. That's why. Let's yeah, go. It's, they're nasty. It, it, stops. it just stops. It's like, it's unreal. I, I haven't heard a word about dirty diapers. No, I changed his first diaper. And, and it turns out that changing his diaper is one of my favorite things to do. The time that we have together, the intimacy of it, the yeah. special, there is a bonding. Um, it, it's, it was comforting to him and soothing and fixing a problem and his, his mm-hmm. you know, um, addressing something that was causing him distress. And then once he becomes more related, there's this time to engage and play and, and yeah. giggle. And, and so, yeah, I mean, I went from fretting about how gross other people's waste is, you know, like you don't get near anyone else's waste. Like that is a rule of society. Like, I mean, at least it wasn't my world. <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty well established. Yeah, yeah. That's I a mean, pretty good rule. It is. It's a good one. You know, it's not something we're attracted to. And yet all this, and then and there's this expectation that I'm supposed to love and, uh, you know, changing diapers and look forward to it. But, you know, to, to return to the, the, the point at hand is that there wasn't an intimacy and then there was. And, and I, yeah, there was no, there was nothing approximating that during pregnancy. And I was watching Katie have an intimacy that I just couldn't be a part of. I love that you said the word intimacy there. And I want to dig into that a little bit because I think that's a word that we are more comfortable using today. You know, when you're talking about your connection to your son and Brayden, you have four sons and a, and a daughter, and I'm sure you have very special connections with all of them. But in years past, you know, that wasn't so much like dad was a presence in the house but it wasn't really, you didn't really consider whether you had much of a connection with him. Braden. I don't want to assume what your experience was. You know, can you just, is your experience as a dad forming those relationships with your kids? How is that similar or different to what you experienced growing up? It's very different. And, and I'll even say my experience, honestly, with my younger children oh. um, is, is vastly different than my experience with my older children. And some of that was driven by time of life. Earlier ones, I was in school, we were working hard to try to get, you know, just pay the bill, all those kind of things. And by the, by the tail end of that, we had a little more freedom, just our, our circumstances were different and things were a little easier. And society had changed, though. Honestly, there had been yes. a pretty, pretty big um, sea change with what, you know, fathers went from just being a breadwinner slash disciplinarian, which I think is kind of what it was when I was growing up. I think that was a, and there were exceptions, but I think that was kind of the stereotype at least, or, or mm-hmm. a, 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 something that was, but it was, I think, founded in, in some kind of real lived experience for people. I watched my sons and I think both of my sons who had kids both had, I know one of them at least had some pretty generous paternity leave, which was wonderful. Um, and I saw how that made a big difference. Um, that was a wonderful night, you know, I, I don't know if we want to get too political and into public policy, but that is a fairly small thing that I think could make a huge difference. I mean, I've seen it make a big difference. I, I, my, my data set is limited to, to one or two, but, um, 
from the start, being able to be present and be part of the, at least for a couple of days, um, I think is a pretty powerful way to integrate and, and to start building that intimacy um, more quickly in a, in, a, in a meaningful way from the beginning. So I, I do think things have changed. What we, I don't think fathers are, are any longer, I don't, I don't think it's just synonymous with uh, breadwinner or disciplinarian. I think what we expect of fathers and what fathers aspire to is, is far more broad. And, and with that, I think that word intimacy is, is what many fathers are really working hard to, uh, to aspire to and to create. And I think that's a really wonderful change. I wish it had come sooner. I don't have any deep regrets, but I think um, I do feel like it was uh, maybe easier to articulate that ideal with the, the later ones in my batch. That's beautiful. We're getting there. We're making the change it's happening. It's happening. We are. With and me. it does show the influence of culture and of policy because we are all part of the system. So if as the culture shifted and you felt a little bit more uh, support culturally for the idea of engaged dads, that makes it easier for dads to be engaged. Right. And then if we have policies that support dads being home, that financially make that a possibility for more dads, that's a change. That's a sea change. And, you know, I think everybody on this call and likely everybody listening, there's all the downstream benefits of that. You know, we've all right. read and seen the research that kids with involved parents, involved dads do better in right. name and outcome. And that that's true. So this investment on the front end pays dividends, not just socially, but throughout generations. Yeah, I agree. I think that's really well said. It's it's easy to say, well, you should you should do the right thing, even if you don't have anyone else setting the example or and that's true, but it takes sometimes to to change our cultural imagination. Like we we may have a an aspiration inside and we might not even have a a name for it. Like I don't know that I, I doubt and I, I don't want to speak for him. I'm sure that my grandparents never thought about developing intimacy with their children. Like I don't that just was not in the, in the oxygen at the time. And they were hardworking, good people. I think my parents probably came closer to that. I don't know that they would have used that word. I suspect they wanted to have a, an attachment or mm. a bond, but now we're talking about intimacy. And so just in the course of a few generations, but it, it has to happen. We, we have to have, you know, those words and those ideas um, need to percolate. It's it's hard to come up with the whole picture by yourself and, and to have that objective articulated just independently. You you need some, you know, there's a that kind of wonderful um, cross-fertilization of ideas and thoughts and aspirations. I, th I think it's really hard to define the, the role and to, and to find examples. And I do think that I, I see more and more of that. And I've been encouraged by how many men, you know, un, unprompted have stepped out and congratulated me and said really tender things and reflected on their experiences of fatherhood and shared that with me. You know, not that they were looking to give me permission to be any certain way, but they just felt called to demonstrate, uh, you know, their tenderness for their kids and how 
meaningful the experience of being a father was to them and, and how excited they were for me in a time where I wasn't even sure I could get excited. Uh, either I was so swamped in, you know, newborn crying and diapers or, you know, the kid wasn't here yet and I just didn't know what it would be like. But they, you know, gave me this sort of flicker of hope that, oh, okay, like they really love this in some way that's like more meaningful to them than anything else in their lives. And, and okay, like that, that's, I'm going to hold on to that. That's, that's meaningful. And I don't know. I mean, I think coming from that place of love is really important. And I, I keep thinking of this experience I had since Braden, you mentioned being at a service, uh, you know, sort of how you opened, you know, talking with us today. I, I was raised Jewish and got away from it in my young adult years, teenage years and beyond, and tried returning to it a little bit in my adult life and had a really important experience, I think, where I went to a little community um, synagogue a few times and, and one night was at a service and was listening to just the kind of range of, um, I don't even know what to call the different passages and prayers and you know, things that the, the rabbi was sharing. And a lot of it was this sort of Old Testament kind of finger wagging, be good. And it felt authoritative, if not authoritarian. But then there were these really tender, like holding, loving kind of prayers and songs. And, and they did, and they had very different impacts on me. You know, hmm. like I, I wanted to, I bristled at the authority. <laughs> um, and, and, and I could feel my inner adolescent sort of saying, like, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do, um, in, you know, in spite of all of us, probably. But, you know, but I think there's something to that reaction to being told what to do, how to be. And then in, in the prayers that were more tender and loving, I felt so kind of cared for that I wanted to do all the best things. I didn't need to be told what to do. It, it found it and called it, it called it upon it in me. It was already there and I didn't need to be told. And so I don't know. I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm trying, I think about that a lot. And I think about that as t in terms of maybe the different ideas of fatherhood that have, you know, been batted around over the years and that we all struggle with and how much of each do you need, you know, but I, I don't know. I'm, I, I think about that experience a lot in terms of what, I want to, what I want to bring to my relationship with my son. And, you know, I don't, I don't really know what's good and what's bad. And I think a lot of that's relative, but in terms of finding what's best and helping him find that within himself to make good decisions, eventually, you know, it's like, I, 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 I find this, an urge in myself to do more of the loving thing. And I'm encouraged by how many men I see around me willing to, I think, operate in, in that sort of mode too. I, I love, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. We're all, no, we're all, I think we could all three say it at the same time. <laughs> I, I want to hear Braden say it. Let's get him saying it. I just, I, I love that. I, I think there is something we've talked a little bit, Janet, we've alluded to your, your comment that, you know, moms and dads, males and females parent differently. We just, we just have different styles. There is a very powerful, when you, when you encounter uh, a loving man, there is something very powerful about that. It's a different, whatever, energy, different vibe. Mm -hmm. I don't know. I can't quite describe it. But when you were in the presence of someone who is a truly loving man, 
there's really something remarkable about that. Um, and I, I think that that is something that, that all of us as humans ought to aspire to. But I do think that um, our culture could use far more examples. We think we have perhaps more examples of kind of uh, female love and not to take anything away from that. I think we could use a few more examples of, of men who are just truly loving in a way that's recognizable, not just kind of like tough love or like, or stern and strict. And you'll realize later, well, he loved me, just never said it. I mean, a kind of a, a very loving male presence. And I, I have noticed that students do really respond to that. I think there's something that they just don't often encounter as much about a man who will say, I love you, or, and, and we'll, we'll back that up with kind of attitudinal and um, character and, and attributes that, that, that model that. So I, and I love that you're seeing that already from, from peers and other men around you, Andy, because I think that's a pretty, pretty powerful example. There's something quite moving about that, I think. Well, and it's a shift away from, I think, this idea that in order to be a respectable man, you have to be powerful and in control. Because I think to like to love in that way is to not to control, mm. not to say there's an outcome that I must produce, but to release yourself of that and, and say, I don't have that much control. I, I have some influence. And so this is how I'm going to try approaching this. There isn't that control. And I think when there's a lot of fear around the outcome and producing a certain outcome and being in control of that, and if your own self-respect is on the line, your own acceptance, and if others are holding you to that sort of expectation, then you're probably going to be more controlling and it's going to be harder to be loving and trusting and let go more and give space and, and that sort of thing. And the irony too, is as you really eloquently shared with that example of your, the, the visit to the synagogue, if, if you want to have true influence as opposed to power or, or dominion, I mean, there is just truly nothing that gives you more influence in a person's life than love. I mean, that is the key. When, when I first started teaching, I um, <laughs> there was a teacher I admired. She was an older, older teacher. She taught for, I don't know, 30 years or something like that. And I was just starting out and I really admired her. And I remember asking her for tips because I was having a little bit of trouble in classroom management as everyone does. She said, well, the best advice I ever got was you just, you got to be a witch until Thanksgiving and then you can back it off. Um, but you got to be a witch until Thanksgiving. She just kept repeating, be a witch until Thanksgiving. And that is very much in line with a very kind of an older generation's response. And so I tried it and, and it didn't go well. <laughs> and I don't the see reality is your essential nature there, Brayden. <laughs> well, thank you. Well. <laughs> and maybe that was part of it, it, but it wasn't. I mean, it didn't. I was, I was, at first, I was trying to imitate her. And then I decided to tone it down. I thought I'd literally I tried to imitate Professor McGonagall from Harry Potter and just be very strict. Um, but that's not me either. And I, I just couldn't pull it off. And at some point, it, it was really not, it was, it was bad. It was a terrible year. Things were not going well for me. And, and I don't remember when. It wasn't like I had this blazing epiphany at one moment. But, um, but I have learned since then that you simply cannot punish or threaten any child into doing what you want them to do. You cannot make someone choose good and do good by, you know, compulsion, threats, and there's just no amount of punishments that will work. But love, it, this is such a cliche, but love 
and gentleness um, and clarity, you know, having a clear, you can't just let them do anything, but clarity mixed with love um, really is a powerful, it's a, it's a very powerful combination and it is not quick. Um, it sometimes takes years for that to, to really have full um, kind of bear, bear the fruits of that. But that really is a powerful thing whenever you're dealing with any other human, but especially one who's younger and vulnerable and um, dependent on you. But that really is a powerful blend of, of clarity and charity, I guess. Yeah. And for, for the dads who are listening or for the dads who's, who maybe your wives have encouraged you to listen to this episode, we hope maybe they have. I think it's that trusting, trusting your gut, trusting your intuition. And Andy, I love that you had people come to you and you know, that's just spreading this when you're willing to verbalize it, when you're willing to say, I can imagine you're going to be saying that to the next person who's going to be having a baby. And that just spreads that warmth. I'm getting chills as I say that. And that's, I mean, it starts with each one of us to be able to do that. So dear listeners on Father's Day and every other day, choose love and know that dad's parent differently uncles, grandfathers, parent differently. And it's not bad or wrong. It is simply different. And our kids, all our kids need that difference in their lives. Jen, I'm sorry. May I just add in a little appendage to what I just said? I, you just triggered this thought. I do think it's important. I think you can love how you are. Like you don't have to love how, um, if, if you're married to a woman, you don't have to love how she is. You don't have to love how anyone else loves you, you can love authentically, but you can be yourself. Like love can mean rolling around and wrestling on the floor. It can mean uh, playing basketball to take two kind of maybe a little more stereotyped ideas, but love comes in a lot of different sizes and a lot of different um, verbs. You can do and be loving in a lot of different ways. The, the trick is, is that you're letting your affection and love for this child guide your, guide, guide your actions. So I just wanted to make sure I was clear and explicit about when we talk about being loving, what that can mean. I'm still very much in the, I hope that none of my boys become fathers in the near future. What with having a 16 year old (laughs) and nobody being in a serious relationship. But I will say this gentlemen, I feel more hopeful and excited for the day that one or maybe more of them become fathers now than I ever have, because realizing that if they become fathers, it will be at a time when this is the sea change and there's this kind of support. This is incredible. This is incredible. Thank you both so much for the work that you are doing with your families and in the world. We're spreading love and you're right. It's the most powerful force in the world. Happy Father's Day. Yes, indeed. Happy Father's Day on the day and every other day. Listeners, I hope that you will share this episode with any male in your life, whether they are yet fathers, uncles, grandfathers, brothers, this is important. And what an amazing conversation with Brayden and Andy. And I thank them so much for sharing their hearts with us. We are your co-hosts, Janet Allison of boysalive.com and Jennifer L.W. Fink of buildingboys.net. Thank you for being our listeners 
And don't forget next gen men, more men doing good and loving work in the world. Nextgenmen.ca. Remember, there's that course there that you can take in just a few hours to get more inspiration, more wisdom, and use the Envoys coupon code for a discount. Thank you for being our Envoys listeners and supporting our sponsors. Our family has grown. Welcome to the world, Hannah baby. Introducing a new collection, Hannah Soft, made with Tencel. It's so breathable, with stretchy comfort for all of baby's first moments. And it's cool and gentle on their skin all year round. Entrusted Hannah quality for your most precious gift. Hannah Soft, made to last. Shop now at hannahanderson.com.